Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm really happy you joined us on our episode today. This may be your first time. Welcome aboard. Maybe you've listened many times before. We're so glad you're here, however many times you've been here. Well, today we're continuing in a series called Pilgrims in Babylon. That is that as believers in Christ, if, if you are a believer in Christ, if you're not, we're, we're especially glad you're with us today. But if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that this earth is not our home. We're making our way through Babylon, a fallen world system, on our way to our heavenly home with Jesus Christ. So we're pilgrims in Babylon. We're not meant to remain here. We're just passing through. We're talking today about don't preach me no sermon. Absolutely. And it's Sunday, December 6, 2020. We're going to take a break from all the election stuff. How about that? As we think about that, though, we realize that many people are talking about Civil War. Civil War One. you know, that happened in uh, 1861 to 65, and some are predicting Civil War Two in the future. Well, you know, sometimes there's a Civil War even in our homes, and the ancient philosopher said that the average Roman was far more concerned about the pebble in his sandal than he was about politics. So that's certainly true, and when we think about the theme of First Peter, that wonderful book in the New Testament, we know that it talks very often about suffering. And I'm here to tell you, having been a pastor for nearly 30 years, and I have a, a marriage and a home, and I've known a lot of people who have a marriage and a home, I'm here to tell you that marriage and home life have lots of suffering. Can I get an amen on that? You know, somebody said once, after all is said and done, it's usually she who has said it and he that has done it. Well, is that ever true? And all the guys said amen. You know, somebody once also said that the problem with life is that it's so daily. Think about that. The problem with life is that it's so daily. If we have hopes and aspirations or determination even to be ready to suffer for Christ in the future, whatever that may mean, you know, I think we should prove it in our daily human relationships. That is, if we're ever going to truly take a stand for Christ out in the world, we certainly must be experienced at doing that in our home. You know, Marines are not recruited on Monday and put into a firefight on Tuesday. As Marine Senior Drill Instructor Gunnery Sergeant Hartman said in Full Metal Jacket, you will learn to be a Marine by the book. You will not fail. I will teach you. <laughs> that's pretty good imitation, I think. But that's what he said. But it takes boot camp and it takes other camps to produce a a fully trained and functional Marine or soldier or somebody in the Coast Guard or the Air Force um, or the Navy. So we have to learn how to stand for Christ and do it the right way with the right heart and right spirit and attitudes in our homes. And it's, it's the same for the home. 
future martyrs, <laughs> if you're going to be one who truly stands for the Lord, starts with suffering the right way at home. And remember the saying that all politics is local. And it's the same with standing true with Christ. It's local and it's daily in the home, in the marriage. Now, wives, we're going to see in 1 Peter 3 that the Lord through 1 Peter speaks to the, to the wives first because usually they have the most sense in a marriage. They're the most sensitive and, uh, and follow the Lord's lead usually before the husband, it seems like. But wives, um, it's not like you need to belong to the first church of the nagging wife. That is not going to win your lost husband to Christ. It's not going to help your husband, though he may be a believer in Christ, kind of just takes a back seat. Uh, you know, nagging him all the time is not going to work because if you do that, he's probably going to say, don't preach me no sermon, don't quote me no scripture, and your efforts will fail. Well, let's look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Now I'm reading from the King James Version. You may have another version of the Bible, but uh, mine may not match what you're reading from, so you just listen if you like. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let's read all the way through those verses once, and then we're going to come back and unpack them and break them down and, and try to apply them a little bit so we can understand how to, how to learn how to stand for Christ the right way in the home, even if it means some suffering, so that um, if we have to stand for Him more publicly, hey, we're, we'll be very experienced, right? All right, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. All right, so basically I would describe what I just read, especially from the wife's standpoint, which six of the seven verses were addressed to you wives. I would advise it sort of like the U.S. Senate. Your job when a president makes a nomination for a uh, judgeship or ambassadorial post or something like that, 
The job of the Senate is to advise and consent. I would say it's the same basic thing with your husband's leadership. You're to advise and consent. And I would add one other thing, give loyal support. That will help your husband be a better husband. So when we think about this passage, which we're going to go back to in a minute, I hasten to point this out. And as I mentioned earlier, having been a pastor for three decades and just, you know, been around people for my whole life like you have, I I can say this, when sinful fallen people are involved, marriage and family get complicated and messy real quick. And that's all of us. There's none of us who are not sinners. We may be redeemed sinners, saved sinners, but we were all fallen people, even though we're redeemed. And man, it's just, God has a perfect plan and we're pretty good at messing it up. All of us are. So when sinful fallen people are involved, marriage and family get complicated. Now, as we are gonna go back to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, as we read this, I believe it's addressed to the saved wife who has a lost husband. That is, he is not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ personally. He may be hostile to Christ. He may be ambivalent toward Christ. He may be uninterested in knowing anything more about Christ. It's like, hey, you could go to church and take the kids. Don't ever ask me to go. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't care. I don't want to go. So I think primarily when we read back through this, it's a saved wife with a lost husband. But there are also probably applications, although I think what I just said is the primary one. You could also look at this as sort of a, kind of gives you a game plan if it's a saved wife who has a very weak husband. They, that husband claims to be a believer in Christ, but takes no leadership is not, uh, not apparently, as far as she can tell, actually growing in the Lord. Now, I would question that husband's salvation, but um, she should certainly be praying for a husband like that. But it could be maybe even a, a brand new Christian husband just came to the Lord. The wife has been walking with the Lord longer, and it could be a, a new believer husband, a saved husband, but just almost like a baby in the faith. So you could kind of draw some parallels about that as well. But I think the primary one is it's it's obviously written to the saved wife who has to learn how to navigate marriage and family with an unsaved husband, hoping that one day he comes to Christ himself. And then obviously the seventh verse in chapter three is is aimed right at a saved husband without any doubt for sure. By the way, let me say this. If you're discouraged about your marriage as a believing wife or even a believing husband, but but as that believing husband or wife, you're married to someone who is not, I want to tell you a true story. John Wesley, the great evangelist who won thousands to the Lord and actually rode horseback thousands of miles tens of thousands of miles during his life to preach Christ. I think he preached about four sermons a day on average. John Wesley had a wife. 
Now, I bring this up because John Wesley's wife was trouble on wheels. She would come to where he was preaching sometimes and, and scream at him. Right in, right in the sermon, right in front of everybody. And one, she was a bigger woman than him. He was a smaller guy. And one time I, I heard that she dragged him home. And uh, she was not supportive, apparently, I would say, of John Wesley, at least not when she came to do that. So if you're saying, oh, I just feel like a failure, I, I you know, I'm saved, but my husband's not saved, or maybe a husband's saying, I'm saved, but I can't get that gal of mine to get saved, and you're just feeling like things just aren't going well, or maybe one of you is saved, but the other person you know, claims to know Christ, maybe even goes to church, but there's just no no drive there. You know, listen, you are responsible for you and your choices. You can't make the choices and the decisions and the commitments for your spouse. And that's part of, I think, of what we're going to see here when we go back there. And let me say this as well. As we think of our lives as pilgrims walking through Babylon, I want you to remember very clearly, especially if you're in a difficult marriage situation and you feel like you have failed and there's no hope. Our destination as pilgrims walking through Babylon is to be in heaven with Jesus. That's our destination. Our destination, listen, is not marital bliss on earth because the truth is many people will never achieve that because only one person in the marriage is saved or maybe both people are unsaved that'll be a pretty hard marriage so bear that in mind and a little hope for those who are in a difficult marriage and as i say this i've got a little smiley face with a halo on it out at the end of this. So I'm smiling when I say this. There in heaven, we won't be married as we think of it here on earth. And that's according to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, the Lord is merciful. Amen? <laughs> so um, I plan on hanging out with my wife in heaven, even though there won't be marriage as we think of it. But um, sometimes people may say, it's, this is not for eternity. Well, that would be welcome news if you're in that boat. <laughs> now, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and let's, let's just go through this. We're not going to take a long time, but we want to break this out so that you can see the Lord's instructions to us. Because there, there is suffering in marriage in the home, even when, even when everybody's doing right. Sometimes it's financial suffering or health issues and so forth. All right, so let's look at this. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. So let's just stop there. Now, remember that in 1 Peter 2, the, the Lord through Peter had been speaking to those who were servants of masters. So it flows right into this, and he says, likewise, so now, now he turns to the wives, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. This does not mean that a wife is to be under the 
you know, to, let me explain what it says. Be, where it says "be in subjection," it's actually used in uh, Roman times for the military. A a legionnaire was to be in subjection to the centurion, sort of like uh, the centurion was the company commander, the officer, and the legionnaire was to follow his leadership. The Greek word there is a form of the word hupotasso, which means line yourself up under. So the wife is, is to choose, so she's not forced to do that. She chooses to line herself up under her own husband's leadership. Does that make sense? And why, why does she do that? All right, here's why. Likewise, you wise, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that is, the, as we think of the word of God, the word, they also may without the word, and in Greek it's without a word, that is, you're not going to nag them. You're not even going to quote scripture to them. You're certainly not going to preach them a sermon. All right? So read it again. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they, they also may without the word, and it's like without you saying a word, without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. So that word conversation is the lifestyle, the, the uh, wonderful example that the wife gives. It, you know, she doesn't belong to the first church of the nagging wife, all right? She's pleasant to be around. She's happy uh, to see her husband and, and tries to uh, make sure the husband and the family are taken care of, okay? Verse two, while they behold your chaste, that means a pure, a holy conversation coupled with fear. While they behold your chaste, lifestyle, your way of life, your manner of life, coupled with fear. Now, that fear there doesn't mean the idea of this abject terror hiding in a corner. You might need to call the sheriff's department if that describes you, or call your pastor to help intervene, or your church. But the word here means, the picture is this, that the, the wife does not belong to the first church of the nagging wife. She's not preaching sermons. She's not quoting scripture relentlessly, day after day, over and over. And the husband can't take anymore. Not that picture. It's this, that she's easy to, to be around. He likes being around her because as he, just, he just watches how she handles the marriage and the kids and all of that and maybe even her own career as well. While they behold your chase or holy conversation, lifestyle coupled with fear. That means a, a reverence. I believe it's a reverence for God and also a, a proper um, uh, edifying respect for her husband. You know, if you see a wife who's constantly berating her husband, there's no hope of this turning around, all right? So if you're doing that, ladies, stop. Just stop and do what verses 1 through 2 say. Now, verse 3 talks a little bit about the outward, but it's trying to explain 
that it's not what you look like on the outside, it's who you are on the inside that will have a profound impact on this husband, especially an unbelieving husband. So let's see this. Verse three, who's adorning, that is, uh, that word there is is the Greek word for, um, the whole idea here used is the word cosmos. It's like you're arranging. You ever, ladies, have you ever felt like you just needed to go to the ladies' room and arrange yourself where you put on uh, maybe more lipstick or powder your nose or whatever mysterious things ladies do when they go to the ladies' room? So you're, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. That is, uh, don't focus on the outside and especially don't be a wife that breaks the bank where your husband's concerned because you, you just can't feel good about yourself unless you have more jewelry, more clothes, you know, spend all your time at the hair salon and all of that. This is not saying you can't, you know, properly present yourself, but if you're only focusing on the exterior, you're making a big mistake and you're spending a lot of money. <laughs> the mistake is that's not what, that's not truly what will impress your husband. It's not. Because you could, let me put it this way. Have you ever seen those shows? I think they're called The Real Housewives of, insert city here, whatever, Atlanta, Milwaukee, whatever. Those, I'm not trying to put any one of those women down, but I mean, that whole concept is exactly what the Christian wife is not to be. And if you are trying to be, to, to copy that, and you think you're going to lead your husband to Christ, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're completely wrong. What Peter's talking about here on the outside is women would even put pearls in their hair and, uh, I don't know, some kind of a contraption in their hair, like a sailing ship, <laughs> plaiting the hair and wearing of gold, like gotta, gotta, you know, have that bling, you know, and all that. Or putting on of apparel. Like you, you just bought a new $1,000 dress last week. Don't tell me you need another one this week. You see what I'm saying? Don't be like that. That's, uh, I'm just telling you, that's not good. And I, I don't think any of you listening are like that anyway, but I'm just saying, you know, if you are, stop. Verse four. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. That you know your your heart is the real you inside. But let it be the hidden man, the hidden uh, woman, you know, you wise, that hidden you of the heart, and that which is not corruptible or won't fade away, even the ornament. You know, talk about wearing gold, jewelry, and silver and all of that. Peter says, Hey, how about wearing this? an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price, is priceless to God. What does that mean? Well, meekness is the idea of channeled strength. Unfortunately, our word meek rhymes with our English word weak, and it's not the same at all. The Lord Jesus Christ was meek, but in no way could he be described as being weak. 
We're to be like the Lord. We're to have our strength under the, under the Father's control, under God's control, and the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Let's say you're, you're trying to make a decision in your family, uh, your marriage, you're saved, the husband's not. Uh, amazingly, he asks for your opinion and you give it and you know you're right. I mean, it's absolutely you know what you're saying is the right thing to do, like on which car to purchase or, you know, which job to take or something like that. But he, for whatever reason, he, he makes the other decision, the wrong car, the wrong house. You know what? This is not where you become like one of the housewives of Atlanta, Milwaukee, San Diego, New York, whatever. This is where you just say, okay, if that's what you, you believe we need to do, let's do it. And I'm going to do it with a good attitude. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you make this work, you know, to the best of your ability, right? The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Now you're praying 100 miles an hour, but, in, but outside... You know, you're reflecting just like, yep, all right, we're going we're gonna to make the best of this. Uh, the old thing, when life hand you, hands you lemons, just make lemonade, right? So God highly values that, by the way, because you're turning to him on the inside and saying, Lord, this I don't feel like this is going to work out. I don't think this is a right decision to make. And you just turn it over to the Lord, Okay. Say, are you kidding, Pastor Ed? What a joke. Hey, whatever the, uh, the world's doing today and America's doing today is not working, all right? So I uh, didn't like everything we're doing in America and our home and family is just working so great because it's not, right? Why don't we do what God says and trust God? Verse five. Now, here's why Peter says this. This is why the Lord inspired him. Jesus inspired Peter to say what Peter writes right here. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, so you're to be a holy woman, ladies, you know, an honest, holy lifestyle today, but that's not new. The women of old time in the Bible did that. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, adorned themselves. They arranged themselves, not, not uh, with uh, what, you know, what they wore in gold and silver and all that, but what was going on inside in their heart, in their mind, their spirit. Who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection, that is lining up under the leadership of their husbands, being in subjection under their own husbands. And he gives a specific example in verse 6 that you can read about in Genesis 12. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That is not like he's God, but like, uh, you know, um, in English, Lord or something like that, okay? Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Sarah didn't freak out. She trusted God. God worked everything out in, in the end. Verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, husbands here are told something different. They're going to 
They're supposed to provide leadership for their their marriage and their family. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. That is, um, (laughs) you know, many times when I've seen young couples get married, I think to myself, they have no idea what they're getting into. And you've thought it too. (laughs) The older we get, the more we think that. Um, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, this word means that you're to start, it's not just like you have a bunch of facts. You're to have insight in how to apply what you're starting to learn. You know, when you first get married, you think you know everything. You don't know anything, all right? That's what you'll realize later. But the, but when you begin to learn, you start to um, hold your tongue more. You start to think before you talk. You start, instead of telling your wife what you're going to do, you start asking her, well, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? Because God, I think, gives wives a lot more insight sometimes than, than guys get. And it's wise to ask, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Giving honor unto the wife, that's a good thing as under the weaker vessel. Now, right about here, some women are freaking out. Like, we're not weaker. Come on. Yes, you are. On average, physically, women on average are weaker than men, although there are women who can bench press far more than some men. All right, well, I already know that. Don't write no cards or letters, please. As under the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So they're to treat their wives in, a, in an insightful way, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. What does this mean? Well, it's a wonderful concept. Um, I've got a, uh, an electric guitar that's kind of a sensitive instrument. I don't take it out and chop down trees with it, even though they do call it an ax, <laughs> Right? Um, I have a hammer and I have, um, uh, what else? I have an iPad. I may throw that hammer around and who cares where it goes. I'm going to do everything I can not to drop the iPad. I have done that and I'm really, really careful now. Same idea. Uh, my wife is, is not to be, um, thrown around or treated like a hammer or, uh, an ax or something like that. She's to be treated just like I would give special care to the electric guitar or special care to the iPad. I'm to give special care to my wife. This is, a, this is not a put-down phrase here. This is a good thing. And is being heirs together the grace of life. Some have thought that this may even refer to the uh, privilege and ability to bring children into this world. But certainly, they're heirs together. If the husband is a believer and the wife is a believer in the grace of life, that is, they they not only have their earthly life, but they share uh, spiritual life and will live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're heirs together in that. But here, in case a husband is not motivated yet, it says here that your prayers be not hindered. So if a husband understands that he needs God's help in his business, 
you know, his health, his finances, his family and all of that, uh, being a good father to the children and the whole nine yards. He knows he needs God's help, so he's got to pray. Well, if he's treating his wife wrong, it's going to mess up his prayer life and mess up God hearing him and providing him the help that he knows he needs. So all of this works together. But as I said, when people are involved, that's when things get complicated, and I certainly understand that. So we've covered all of this. Listen, if you've got a great marriage, thank the Lord for it. If it's not that great, follow these instructions and ask the Lord to, to, to bless your marriage. If your marriage is uh, one like John Wesley had, hang in there. Uh, we won't be on this earth very long. Hang in there, and uh, God's got better things waiting in heaven. Amen? Now, I want to talk for as we close to the unsaved, lost husbands and wives. My best advice for you today is to repent of your sins. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and be saved and then watch what God will do in your marriage and your home and with your family. I hope this has been instructive and insightful for you today. Again, I thank you for listening in. If you have questions about spiritual things, about home life, about your salvation, how you can better follow the Lord, you can call 888-537-8720. 888-537-8720. And someone will help you with your spiritual concerns. Thanks for listening. Please tell others about our podcast, This Week in the Word, found at dredhill.podbean.com. I look forward to speaking with you in our next episode. God bless you. Bye-bye.